Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys, especially from yesterday. We went to Mexico, a small group of us, and my GPS told me that it would take an hour to cross the border. It took six, um, which is a record for me, but not a record I want to ever beat. Uh, Got home around two this morning, so... uh, If I fall asleep, forgive me, um, but you have no excuse. Uh, This morning, we are continuing on the essentials. And today, we're going to be talking about a different way of living. That's the book, by the way. If you would like to get that, you can sign up in the back. We are going to go through this book together on a Wednesday night or Thursday night. Uh, We'll let you know when. But today we're going to be talking about a different way of living. And this is part four. We we looked at first how God is a God who sends. God sent his son. His son sent the spirit. The spirit has sent the church, right? God is a ascending God. He is always leaning out to reach, to reach us, to reach people, to reach why? To reach people with good news, to reach people with hope, to reach people with his love. And that because he is ascending God, we are a sent people. And how does he send? He sends incarnationally. In other words, he shows up. He doesn't just give you information. He actually pitches his tent in your neighborhood, we saw. We, we, we saw how he is engaging, and he wants us to be engaging. We're not aloof. We're not away from the people who we are trying to communicate to, we are with them. And if we're not with them, there is a missing part of what God is doing because we fill in that part. And then we also looked that if we are going to be a part of this incarnationally, we have to think different. Right? We stop thinking that the church sends out people to the mission field and recognize that we are the church who is being sent so that we participate in this. This isn't for pastors. This isn't for missionaries. This is for everyone who is a follower of Christ. It's meant to be that way. And we've lost the heart of this gospel if we don't recognize ourselves as part of it got a little squeak in my throat. I don't know if you guys are hearing that, but it makes it interesting. Anyway, we are participants of this. And now we're going to look at a different way of living. And this morning I'm going to talk about driving with GPS, the silver rule, the golden rule, the minimalist and Marie Kondo, 
transplanting a tree, food, safety and security, recognition and prestige. Got a bunch here this morning. Okay, you guys ready? All right. I'm wondering, what is the difference between someone who follows Jesus, and what does that mean, by the way, and a person who doesn't? You see, Jesus is calling us to a different way of living. And if we don't recognize that, we will make it something less than what it really is, and not less just for other people, less for us. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, if you have a copy of the scriptures, or listen. And we're going to go through a number of, of scriptures here in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33, Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more worth much more than they? And who of you, by seeing, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe, the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said, now, or it was said, Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God of heaven is at hand. And Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are times when I'm driving, and if I do not have my GPS on telling me where to go, I will miss where I'm supposed to turn, even if I've gone there hundreds of times. I was driving out to this one place that I go twice a week, and I've been going for a year now. And I thought, I know the way, and I know where we're going. I turned off my GPS. Next thing I know, I'm like two miles past my exit, and I'm going, this doesn't look familiar, right? What's going on? My brain just kind of goes in its own direction, and I need the GPS to do that whole recalculating thing. All of a sudden, I hear a, you know, beep, beep, and then it's telling me this, but it wasn't on, so there was nothing telling me, hey, dummy, you missed it. You need to get off here. Stop daydreaming, get off, and then make the turns that you need to make. And I need that. I need that reminder, that little beep or the little buzz on my watch that says, hey, 
pay attention because you're supposed to turn here. And if I don't, I miss that road mark, whatever it is, and I have to turn back, right? But then every now and then, my GPS tells me it's an hour at the border, and it's six, so I don't know what to do with that. You see, sometimes we need to look up and see where we are. We need to see how we're living to recalculate our life's direction. And this idea of repent is just like that GPS that's telling you, you need to recalculate. You need to get off here. You need to turn around because you've missed the point that you were supposed to reach. And so I think it would be healthy for us to kind of get this idea of recalculating and turning, this idea of repent, because this is something that happens throughout our lives. This isn't something you do one time at a harvest crusade and you stop, you know, going to hell. This is something you do throughout your life to recalibrate how you're living in connection with how God wants us to live. It's much easier to think this is something I do once and I don't have to worry about it, but that's just not accurate. That's not how life works. I've had to repent many times. Thank you for that honesty. Why? Because I'm always having to see where's God and where am I in relation to him? And how am I living in relation to him? Right? Just about every area of the kingdom of God that we want or or should want to enter into requires us to repent and turn around. It requires us to live differently than we are living. We, We see that John and Jesus choose that word repent as the first commandment regarding the arrival of the kingdom of God. Repent. And again, it was a clear warning to the citizens in the Galilean region that they were going the wrong direction, that they needed to turn around. And it's the same thing with true. It's at the heart of Jesus's teaching, the kingdom of God. It's not something that you're establishing, you're building. It's not something that you're going to. It's a realm that God lives in and that we are invited to enter into to acknowledge to receive. Jesus said in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will he say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Literally, it is within you. There is the voice of God, the spirit of God that is pulling you to the heart of God continually in your life, and repenting is listening and making the changes necessary so that you can walk closely with him, so that you can walk in step with him, so you can walk in the same direction as him, so that the kingdom of God shows up in us because of how we are living. So what do we have to repent of? And where do we go to? What are we turning to? Well, we're turning away from our own ways, right? We're turning around from our agenda to living into God's agenda for humanity. We are moving from looking out for number one to the first shall be last and the last shall be first. We are turning toward God and saying, you are in control of my life. Your 
goals or my goals, or as Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we want to experience the realm of God's peace, we must become peacemakers. If we want to inherit the earth, we don't fight for it. We learn meekness because what? The meek will inherit the earth, Jesus said. If we want to live in the realm of God's mercy, we must become merciful ourselves. These are the things that Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. This is the direction that God is going. And if I find myself outside of this, I need to repent. I need to turn. I I need to move in this direction. I need to be more merciful. I need to be a peacemaker. I need meekness to be a part of my agenda. And, And I don't know about you, but that's foreign to me in so many ways. I'm always getting a recalculating, recalculating. I encounter a situation and boom, a little buzz goes off and says, ah, you need to turn. This isn't moving you where I'm going. You're not heading in this direction. You see, because in contrast, the kingdom of men is establishing, sustained through coercion, through power, through accumulating more. Jesus' kingdom is made known by how will they know we're his disciples? By loving one another, loving others, seeing them as more important than ourselves. Again, that's foreign to me. I think about myself more than anyone else. Just telling you the truth. Here's another truth. You do the same thing. You think about yourself more than anyone else thinks about you. Just think about that. Because I think everyone should be thinking about me too, right? I think my wife should be thinking about me. I came home at 2 in the morning and I've got a little tickle in my throat. And I should have hot soup waiting for me. You know, right? I mean, I'm... I'm thinking about me, and I think you should be thinking about me, but here's the key. You're thinking about you, and you're thinking everyone else should think about you too. It's kind of how we're wired. It's kind of what we're having to repent from and move towards. This agenda that that is driven in this way. This isn't just stepping back from conflict, right? This isn't becoming a pacifist. It doesn't stop at don't return evil for evil, but it is active, moves forward with return evil for good or return good for evil. That's what we want. See, the silver rule is do not do to others what you do not want done to you. And what's the golden rule? Do to others what you want done to you. See, one's passive, the other one's active. One is actually extending itself. And the different way of living living is extending ourselves as God would extend himself. In loving, in caring, in showing up. And again, that is not simple. There's a, a whole myriad of complications in how that is to be done. What is beneficial for people? What is beneficial for the kingdom? Because it's not just about a person. It's about what God is wanting even for a person and that person's life. 
And so we have a couple of questions, right? How would our lives change if we sought first the kingdom of God? And what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? What would it do to you if you sought first the kingdom of heaven? For me, it would cause this holy disruption, right? It would interrupt that that self-thought that is continually going on in my mind. It messes with my plans. It messes with my priorities. And it puts all these inconvenient things sometimes in the way. It extends me to places that I wouldn't normally want to go. It involves me in the things that I wouldn't normally want to be involved in. But because it's beneficial to someone else, I find myself going there because that's what the kingdom of heaven is doing. It is constantly shifting me from a being served to a serving mentality. It it is changing my way of thinking, but it's also freeing me from this endless and dissatisfying pursuit of trying to be satisfied, trying to get more to stay ahead. Because we are inundated with this constant media barrage of you are not enough, you need more, you are not satisfied. But you can be if you just buy, if you just do, if you just take whatever it is. There's a couple of things on Netflix, a couple of shows. One is called The Minimalists. Have any of you seen The Minimalists? No. How about Marie Kondo? Have any of you seen Marie Kondo? A few of you, right? She had a best-selling book a while back. Um, what was it called? The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, right? And it was popular back then, but now the Netflix has come out, and so she's got that out. The minimalists were these two guys. It was Joshua Fields, Milburn, and Ryan Nicodemus. And as they were approaching 30, they had everything that they thought they should have. They had the six-figure income. They had the luxury cars. They had the big houses. And those big houses were filled from corner to corner with all the things that they thought they would make them happy, but it didn't. And so what they decided to do was to reduce the things in their life. Now, being a minimalist isn't about getting rid of things. It's about making room for more things. And to do that, we do have to empty ourselves of these other things. They write, and yet with all the stuff, we weren't satisfied. There was a gaping void, and working 80 hours a week just to buy more stuff didn't fill the void. It only brought more debt, stress, anxiety, fear, loneliness, guilt, overwhelm, and depression. You see, because what they, that lifestyle could not give them and what it actually stole from them was their time. They were living for the stuff. Living for the status. Living for the money, living for the car, living for the house. It was something, a consumer mentality that was consuming them. And they had to change it. What Marie Kondo does, this small little Japanese lady, she goes to these 
homes, at least in the Netflix series, to these people who just have so much stuff. And she just tells them, okay, I want you to take your closet, take everything out and throw it on the bed. And some of these people just have mountains. I mean, mountains of clothes. And then she says, I want you to go through everything and I want you to discard everything that does not spark joy. Right? And so people are taking these things and they're going, I don't even know when I got this. And I don't know what it... Yeah, this doesn't spark... This just sparks questions, not joy, right? And they throw that aside. And then there might be something, oh, I remember this. This is when, you know, this happened in my life and this sparks joy. And so they keep that. And the whole thing is to move their lives to a place of meaning. Instead of being a consumer being someone who communes with these things and allows these things to be involved with your life. And it's amazing when you start getting rid of the clutter, how you make room for other things. I mean, Karina and I watched that and I was like, that night, I was like, let's go. And I was just like in my closet and I just threw all my stuff on the bed, right? And I just like, yeah. And I was like, this... Yeah, this sparks no joy at all. It makes me think of when I was 20 pounds lighter. You know, this, 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 and I will not wear this in this, you know, anyway. And it was great freeing up the space. And now I can actually get in and out of my closet without having to move all this stuff. Just removing that clutter, getting it rid of. And so there's this recognition that we need to move away from the stuff and move towards the meaning. Because what we're doing is we're living our lives on this hamster wheel. And the kingdom of God is pulling us to a life of meaning and substance. And we're settling for less. Mark Twain said that most men die at 27. We just bury them at 72. Where's the meaning? What are we living for? Now I'm just living to get. And I have no passion for life. And you see, the kingdom of God is calling us to what's important, what really matters. And when we were at the orphanage yesterday with those children, I don't even speak their language, right? I can say hola and a few things, but I can't communicate with them except in playing with them, except in giving them some pizza, giving them some other little goodies, and just being there. And I remember some of them. It's been a while since we've been there. It's been almost a year since I'd been there. But I remember a few years back being at a pool with some of the smaller ones and teaching them how to swim. And I see them now and they're grown up and they come and they give me a hug, you know. And I remember three years ago the time I spent with this kid on my back going through the water and just teaching them how to swim and them just being attached to me. See, that was something that was meaningful. That, that's something that was investing in a child in a way that mattered. And all I was doing was swimming. See, the kingdom of God is about meaning. 
And how much of my life is meaningless? What areas do I need to turn around and, and change? Because I, I've just, I've made my life too small. We had bought a couple of jacaranda trees. I think that's what they are. And they came in those, you know, like little containers, little wood container. And we had them in those containers for quite a while. And they can only grow so big in that container. Pretty soon, the container can't handle all the roots. And what's happening is that container is limiting the growth of the tree. Its potential is not really being accomplished in what it could do because there's not enough for it to receive. Not enough soil, not enough nutrients, and it will grow so big and it will stop growing and eventually it'll probably even die. But when you transplant that and when we moved it from that pot into the yard and planted it, all of a sudden it moves from this place where this is all that would be there for to now the entire earth is available to this tree, right? And the potential is big enough to to clog my plumbing if it keeps growing, right? It's big enough to spread out roots and to start taking over. It's big enough to expand and become what it was meant to be. It's big enough to grow to its full potential. And we don't realize that our lives are living in these containers that are made up with a consumption of the things that we want and the things that we think we need. And God is wanting to transplant us to the kingdom of heaven that is beyond our ability to fully contain or be contained. It is beyond us. It is a possibility that is bigger than us. It is pulling us to more, not less. And we think, oh, if I have to give myself to some kid swimming in a pool, I won't have time to make that money. What matters to you? What matters to God? What is pulling our lives and where is it pulling our life? You see, repenting isn't just, oh, I got to stop doing this sin. It's no, I got to start living this life because this is what God is doing and this is where I need to be. And we have to change our way of thinking Because so much of it is this idea of, oh, I have this right way of thinking. And so I can say, I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. As if that's what God is all about. And the kingdom of heaven is about so much more. And we fail to reach people because we are placing ourselves as having. And Jesus is calling us to serving We think we've got our closet filled, spiritual closet filled with all the right information. And it's time to clean it out and fill it with the things that really matter. Some of us are living good lives. We're not doing anything wrong. Right? But we've grown as far as we can grow in this life because it's all still about us. It's all still about what we feel comfortable with. And we need to be transplanted so that we can live God's potential for our lives. The kingdom of heaven has to be the new goal of living. We need to repent so that we can see and live a fuller potential that only God can give. 
The kingdom of God is redemptive. And the idea of redeeming means to buy back. It buys us back so we can live richer lives, motivated by a different set of values. And I'm constantly having to repent of the values I have because they constantly keep coming back to me. And I hear that noise from the GPS of my soul that says, recalculating, where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you living for? What is the direction of your life? And where are you in relationship to the kingdom of God? I think a real clear illustration of this kingdom living is found in Matthew chapter 4. The temptation of Jesus says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands. And that so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. I believe this story is giving us a good picture of the motives and means of Jesus and the kingdom of God in contrast to the motives and means of the kingdom of a darkened world, right? First, he talks about food, the things that sustain life itself. Food is one of those things where it doesn't matter how much you eat, you want to eat more. At least I do. Sometimes even when I'm full, I want to eat more. You know, as much as we go to Mexico for the children, I look forward to the tacos on the way home because they're amazing. And and I could eat, and I did, you know, eat just a a good amount of this food, but I'm going to want to eat again because that's kind of how food is. And the deception is to believe that it is only the material that we need to survive. It's only the actual food. It's only the actual clothing. It's only the actual physical things that we need to survive. The food alone will supply what is needed to live, but not what is needed. Jesus says that there is more, that there is God's intention for our lives, and that it is his will, his ways, his word that will sustain us and provide what we really need. It will move us from the wrong mentality to the place where we see more and hunger for more. 
the safety and security that we all desire, who and what controls our lives. I am amazed at how much fear controls our lives. And fear is a cruel master, right? I mean, we fear so many things. We live with an anxiety of some impending doom. You cough and you think, I wonder if I have tuberculosis. And I I wonder about this. I wonder about my health. I wonder about these things. Or we fear our children and what they will do or maybe what they've done and what that will lead to. And we have this fatalistic attitude of the horrific things that could happen. And God is not a bystander in life. He sees the birds. He sees you, right? He is a master at working in even the worst situations, transplanting lives to places where they can actually grow, whether it's deceiving like Jacob and transplanting him to become Israel or being betrayed like Joseph or even like Jesus and working things out for good. God is a master at being involved, but when we let the fear, I have to get myself secure, we fail to realize where real security comes from. And it doesn't come from the things it never does, never has, never will. There's nothing you have that you will not be able to lose except the things that God gives. And so finding security safety in those things. The idea of recognition and prestige, right? Bow down to me and I will give you this glory. Our source of meaning, right? Satan here offers Jesus the kingdoms of the world if he will fall down and worship him. The truth is that what we worship shapes who we are. It's what we look like. We take on the characteristics of whatever it is that we worship. It conforms us. We worship that what we give our lives to, right? To some people, it's success, it's work, it's giving ourselves over to have that success, make that money, to live in that status. For some people, it's the pleasure from drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is. We live for those things, and those are the things that start to shape our lives. To some, it's pride, right? Being right, being better than others, esteeming ourselves as being over others by the things that we know, the things that we present ourselves. But the children of the kingdom are known by a different set of values. They live from a different source. They live in contrast to the self-centered, self-indulgent, self-satisfying lifestyle that is poured into our eyes throughout the media continually. They worship God alone and they recognize that they don't have what they need, that only God, the one who created us, can make us work right. And it's where we have to come. We have to realize I do not have all that I need. But God does. And it puts me in a position of humility. It puts me in a position and a posture of receiving. 
so that I actually can move outside of my barrel, outside of this container I'm living in, to the container that God wants me to live in. And I don't fully understand spiritual conflict or what some call spiritual warfare, right? I don't fully grasp hold of all these things, and I don't think anyone does, and I don't think it's as simplistic as the arguments that we have or the conflicts that we have with one another. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, just artfully maps out a number of ways that this kind of shows up. And I think if you were to kind of highlight his book, there is the the Christianity, if you will call it, where you need Christ. And then there is the Christianity and. I need Christ and other things. And you see, one is at a place where I just need, I am in a place where I want to go where you are. And the other is in a place where, yeah, I need, but I want you to come where I am. And we need to see if we are living in a place where it is, yeah, I need God and I also want to have this set of rules that make me feel comfortable and I want to have this set of things that I can do and I can hold on to because they give me that security. Or is it at a place where, you know what, this is what I'm going to trust in, period. And we have to constantly, at least I do, be turning to a place where I give myself to that. Because the life that gives God allegiance verbally but still governs itself is not a life that is following in the kingdom. And how we become who we are meant to be is by seeking first the kingdom. Remember, the essentials are not about believing the right things. It's about becoming the right people the right humanity. And in Eugene Peterson's translation of the message, he says, steep yourself, your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Seek first what? The kingdom. Everything else, seek first this. Let's make the decision to repent when we find our lives going in a different direction as his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for your heart and clarity. And Lord, even though there is so much I do not understand, you constantly are pulling me into a place of your heart and your character. And I pray for all of us here this morning that we would recognize where your kingdom is and where your kingdom is going and where we are. And if we are in the same direction, great. But anytime we veer from that, Lord, I pray that we would make the turn, that we would repent and move back into your direction. 
And I pray even in my own heart, Lord, for eyes to see where I am blind. God, there are so many times where I cannot see outside of that barrel I live in. And you have the entire kingdom of God outside of this space where I can grow. Lord, we want to move where you move. We want to live where you live. And recognize that you are the source. Help us, God, to recognize where we are, where you are, and what we need to do to live different lives. Lives that will actually be more fulfilling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you allow God to transplant you from a life that is consumed with self to a life that is consumed with his kingdom. May you repent and recognize that the kingdom of heaven is in your midst, it is within you, and allow it to grow. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.